You're listening to a podcast from evidencenetwork.ca, making evidence matter in Canadian health policy. Millions of Canadians literally are affected by this. Best estimates are around 10% of Canadians um, or uh, one in five households has uh, someone who's affected by this issue, someone who's been prescribed the medication but not taking it because of the cost. Nav Prasad's research on access to medicines is driven by the challenges he sees patients facing at his clinic in Toronto. Seeing me as a doctor is publicly funded for them, um, so I can tell them what the diagnosis is and I can tell them what medication they should be taking, and that consultation is all publicly funded. But the one thing that they actually need, the medication, is not. So they don't take it, and they keep coming back with the same problem. Um, But that is only the case um, for my lower-income patients who don't have insurance um, or who don't have don't have either private or public insurance. Um, And so I see that unfairness uh, every single day in the clinic. Um, And it's obviously something uh, that I think should change. And I think that if more people knew about it, more people would um, agree is absolutely unacceptable in Canada. Most medications outside of the hospital are not covered by our health system. Prasad would like to see a national drug plan that publicly funds a list of essential medicines to meet the core needs of people in Canada. This would include treatments for diabetes, high blood pressure, HIV, pneumonia, ear infections, and joint pain. The World Health Organization defines essential medicines as medicines that satisfy the priority health needs of the population. It regularly updates a model list of essential medicines, which hundreds of countries have already adapted to meet their local needs. The World Health Organization introduced this concept of an essential medicines list in 1977, and they've been revising their model list every two years since then. More than 100 countries, including other high-income countries, have been able to do this. They have come up with short lists of evidence-based medicines, so there's no reason to believe that we would be unable to do what more than 100 countries have already done. Those countries include Sweden and the United Kingdom, as well as the Veterans Administration in the U.S., which have national lists of essential medicines. But it's not just high-income countries that are covering the cost of essential medicines. Consider regions in India. You could actually have worse access to medicines after you move from New Delhi to Toronto because some lower-income countries are doing a better job of providing people with access to essential medicines than we are doing here in Canada. And it's costing us, in health and well-being, as well as dollars and cents. Yes, launching a national essential drug plan would require a chunk of money up front from the government. But Persaud says the long-term savings for Canadians would be tremendous. It's hard to believe that publicly funding access to medicines could save us money. But we're paying for all of these medicines right now, and they're accessed through a combination of public plans, private plans, and out-of-pocket charges. Um, And we end up paying roughly twice as much than other similar countries for exactly the same medications. And per pill, uh, we are regularly paying twice as much as other countries that are smaller than us, countries like New Zealand and Sweden. Um, And if we were to have a single payer that was negotiating prices for these medicines, we could expect to pay prices similar to those being paid by Sweden and New Zealand today. And if we did that, we would save uh, literally billions of dollars. Besides ensuring that essential medications are available to all Canadians who need them, and saving us money, Prasad says a national drug plan actually ensures more appropriate use of medicines. How? 
Well, today there are a myriad of drug options for any given health issue, and they're constantly changing. Prasad says a national drug plan creates a centralized mechanism for regularly updating everyone's knowledge based on the latest medical evidence. For example, patients won't have to worry about whether their doctor has read the latest journal article on treating diabetes because the national drug plan itself would routinely add the most effective medications and remove those found to be less effective or problematic. Although there are many options available, you may not actually be getting the medication that's right for you. Um, the decisions made by doctors are dependent on a lot of different things, their habits, what they were taught in medical school, um, and what sorts of marketing messages they might have received from the pharmaceutical companies who want them to prescribe particular products. And so when a short list of essential medicines is made, uh, it's made based on the best evidence. So you can be sure that if you're prescribed a medication from an essential medicines list, that it's highly effective. Um, unfortunately, there are a number of medications that are commonly prescribed today um, that are not proven to be highly effective. And there are some that we know are not effective. One example is docusate. That's a treatment uh, for constipation. It's a laxative and it doesn't work. Um, yet it is commonly prescribed in Canada Prasad says there has been some progress in Canada. For example, Ontario recently agreed to cover essential medicines for young people. In the meantime, he continues to research the consequences of Canada dragging its heels, and he's getting impatient for his patients. We are measuring the effect of providing people who don't have access to medicines with um, free access to medicines and convenient access. Access to medicines can literally be the difference between life and death. But this problem has been recognized for a long time. There have been recommendations since the 1960s for publicly funding access to medicines, and it hasn't happened. For Evidence Network, I'm Nita Das-McMurtry. You've been listening to a podcast from evidencenetwork.ca, making evidence matter in Canadian health policy. Connect with the latest nonpartisan health research from experts across Canada and around the world, or sign up to receive our free monthly e-newsletter at www.evidencenetwork.ca. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Evidencenetwork.ca is funded by the Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, Research Manitoba, and the University of Winnipeg.